0: If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to the little book of Joel. Joel's in um, the back of the Old Testament. It's part of what we call the minor prophets, not because their message is minor. It's just because it's a short book. And this summer, um, we're going to go through some of these minor prophets, some of these short books. Uh, today, we're going to take a, little, uh, a, a peek into the book of Joel. This sermon series for the summer is called Come Back to Me. And um, probably the minor prophets, probably a book or probably a a series of books that many of you have just skipped over thinking like, oh, man, this is a lot of judgment that's going on here. Um, There is some judgment and there's some conversation about unfaithfulness, but it also the minor prophets also paint a picture of a God whose scandalous love never stops pursuing you and me whether we are faithful or not. This whole story is about a God who pursues the very people who broke his heart. And that means that these books are good news. So over the summer, we'll be celebrating the good news of God as it relates to, as he speaks uh, through these prophets to us. In the Hebrew Bible, these 12 minor prophets books, um, they were all put together like one book and it was called the the 12. Uh, It's important for us to remember that God's the author of all scripture. Every book is inspired by God. And in this section, uh, God speaks to Israel and when the Bible talks about Israel, it means Israel. But prophetically, when the Bible talks about Israel, it also talks about his church, it talks about you and me. So I wanna just give you a a little bit of a background to this book and uh, then I wanna give you an invitation. So uh, the background is this, this is uh, three chapters that I want to invite you to read maybe this afternoon. It's a collection of poems that are really, really powerful for today, even if they seem a little bit puzzling. The prophet Joel talks about this day where evil empires will be brought low and God's people will finally be delivered from the corrupt human systems that we live in and It's this idea of this great deliverance that generates hope for God's people living amidst the consequences of sin and injustice. Joel's gonna talk about this promise of this messianic king and then the arrival of God's spirit, the spirit that we just sang about, the spirit that we just sang to. Joel's gonna prophesy about the coming of God's spirit. And some of you might know this, but one of Joel's primary prophecies prophecies is fulfilled in the book of acts in acts chapter two at a a beautiful passage of scripture we'll get to in just a moment um, some events that happen at pentecost so one of the things i want to point out real quick i think is really interesting israel's sin is never specifically mentioned in this book joel said joel joel never says because you did this you need to repent Or because you did this, then God's gonna, you know, he's gonna enact justice. Uh, That sin is never noted here. Um, What is made clear is that God will not allow sin, he will not allow evil to continue to wreak havoc on his good world. And God is at work to deliver his people and bring the new creation and his spirit to his followers. Joel uh, is a, most likely as a contemporary of a couple guys, Ezra and Nehemiah, but we're not totally sure. What we do know about Joel is Joel knows a lot of the Bible. Joel knows a lot of scripture. In these three little chapters, Joel's gonna reference Isaiah and Amos and Zephaniah and Nahum and Obadiah and Ezekiel and Malachi and Moses. He's gonna quote from the book of Exodus. So a little bit of background, here's the invitation. If that all sounds crazy and you have no idea what I just said and you're not sure what this book is about and after we go through the message, if you're still confused, I want to invite you to come on Wednesday night at 630. We're going to have a time where we just we just take our time with each book every week. There'll be a little study guide that'll be provided. And if you'd like to come and just learn how to live into these truths with a little more time, I wanna invite you to come and participate on Wednesday nights. There's childcare available. We just need you guys to sign up for that if you wanna, um, if you wanna come and join us. All right, let's jump in. Joel chapter one, uh, verse one, and then the first half of verse two. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, listen all who live in the land. If you got a letter from a friend and the letter started out this way, would you be nervous? If your friend wrote you a letter, the word of the Lord came to me, hear this, listen up. This is like one of those things, you know, uh, uh, attention Walmart shoppers. Like he's really trying to make sure he gets your attention. Pay attention. This is a really important message. And it's not just for the elders. It's for all of us. Verse two, has anything like this ever happened in your days Uh, or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. He's saying, this is big news. This is a big story. We want to make sure everybody hears this story. Verse four, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Joel catches their attention when he starts talking about locusts. In the history of Israel, they would know a lot about locusts. Um, You might remember in the story of Moses and Pharaoh, God sent 10 plagues and one of those plagues was a plague of locusts. Locusts just devoured Uh, All of Egypt, but it was also something that happened in Israel's story. So Joel's catching their attention with this picture of Israel. Sometimes in the Old Testament, God uses these kinds of experiences, sort of this like this plague of locusts, to shake up his people from walking in unfaithfulness. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've been shaken? You've been shaken up, and you're wondering, like, what just happened? How did this happen? Has there ever been a time where all of a sudden you're just going along, and then, boom, something happens, and you're kind of shaken? Anybody, that true of anybody here ever? Just a couple of us? Is anybody paying attention? Just want to make sure. We can start over if we need to. I bet all of us have been shaken up at one time or another. Uh, Joel is just trying to get their attention. Remember that time when God shook up Israel through the coming of these locusts. I don't know if you've ever been shaken up, but for sure I have. And you're not sure what's going on or where to go. And you hear this sort of voice. I've got you, I've got you. Come back to me, come back to me. I think that's what's happening here. Culminates in uh, chapter one, culminates in verse 13 and 14. God speaks through Joel. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord, your God, and cry out to the Lord. Joel calls on the priests to mourn and wail. And then he calls on the priest to get everybody together. The whole nation is going to have a prayer meeting. Everybody, everybody's coming to the temple and everybody's going to fast. This isn't the first time that this has happened in Israel uh, this wouldn't be the last time that this happens. There's one other real quick. I'll just point out uh, 1 Samuel chapter seven, verse six. Same kind of thing happens here. After they had assembled all the Israelites, after they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted and there they confessed. We've sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was serving as the leader at Mizpah. National assemblies would happen Uh, For the people of Israel, it would happen under leadership of Nehemiah and Jeremiah. It even happened in Jonah's day. And so that's what they did. The priests declared this fast. They declared this time of prayer. And everybody came and everybody prayed and everybody cried out to the Lord. Long time goes by. Chapter 2 begins with Joel announcing another day of the Lord and another call for prayer And this time he speaks a little more clearly about repentance. So if you have your Bibles, Joel chapter two, verses one and two, and then verse 11, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It's close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness like dawn spreading across the mountain. A large and mighty army comes such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Then verse 11, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great and it is dreadful and who can endure it? The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And Joel says, it's time for our people to repent. Look at verse 13. Rend your hearts, not your garments, and return to your God. Joel is calling for something much deeper to happen than this big national assembly. Now it's really, really personal. He says, rend your hearts, not your garments. Joel is calling for there to be a heart change in the people of God. Lots of times when we think about repentance, we probably think about behavior change, like we're not gonna do that behavior again, but this is way deeper than that. Rend your hearts and not your garments. And he makes a really cool point here, a really powerful point. He reminds the people that God is not out to get them. He quotes Exodus 34, six, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and full of love rend your hearts, not your garments, and return to that God, our compassionate God. Not the God who wants to take things from you, not the God who wants to take things away from you, but the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and full of love. Who knows, who knows? He may turn and relent, and he may leave a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord. I said this a minute ago, but I just find this fascinating. There's not a sin that's mentioned here the people of Israel know what they need to repent for. There's probably not a sin that they don't, haven't committed, but Joel doesn't need to call it out. And yet there's this deep and passionate call for repentance. I thought I'd just ask you guys real quick. Anyone here ever repented? You could raise your hand? If you haven't repented, why don't we do that now? You can just tell the person sitting next to you. Just kidding. We won't do that. That might not be a good idea. Most of the time when we think about repentance, though, we think about saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. We think about changing the behavior, I won't do that again or I won't say that again. That sounds a little bit more like remorse than it does repentance. There's a clear distinction in Scripture, the difference between saying, I'm sorry, and really being repentant. Paul writes about it this way in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, and it results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in a spiritual death. In the Greek, when the word repentance is used, it's more used in the context of changing your belief than it is about changing your behavior. If we're gonna repent, we're gonna change the way that we think. Like we thought this was a really good idea. It sounded like a really good idea at the time. Repentance is changing the way that we believe so then we will change the way in which we behave. The Israelites and you and I are called to repent and return. And, and remember, it's to simultaneously change our thinking and our acting and turn back to this compassionate God, this God that loves us, who wants to invite us into a better way. There's a better way of living, and there's a better way of loving. Jesus illustrates it clearly for us uh, in the story that he tells of the return of the prodigal son. It's kind of... Um, the story of, a little bit of story of repentance and turning and coming back home. This is Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. Jesus tells this story about this prodigal son. And when he has come to his senses, when, he's, when he realizes, oh my gosh, this isn't the way, this isn't the right way. He says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants has food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll go back, I'll go back home. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'll go back. I've awakened like this isn't a good idea. Being here and what got me here. I'll change my thinking and then I'll change my behavior. And he heads on back. And then this is Jesus amazing. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Like the story of the prodigal son, our compassionate God responds to Joel and to the people of Israel. I love this. This is chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord was jealous for his land, and he took pity on his people. The Lord relented. The Lord said, Man, I love these guys too much. He took pity on his people. after all that has happened around here in these last days and uh, what was shared uh, last Sunday, there's a part of me that wants to blow the trumpets and call for a holy fast. There's a part of me that wants to gather all the elders and the whole church and cry out to our Lord. Our church has been shaken up. Our church has been hurt. Many of you have been hurt. We've been hurt. And I believe that what has happened around here in the last little bit has grieved the heart of God we are experiencing a spiritual attack and our only response is a spiritual one. I don't know if there's anything more appropriate than prayer. It's time to sound the trumpets. I've been thinking about it as the week has gone on and I've thought, man, I think it's time to sound the trumpets. But then I realized as the week has gone on, I don't know that I need to sound the trumpets I don't know that I need to call for prayer because it's already happening. Prayer is already happening around here. Some of you have shared with me how you have not stopped praying for our church. Some of you have shared uh, stories of confession and forgiveness. Uh, One person told me after church, the first hour after church, that they've been coming up here and walking around the building just praying for our church. Some of you have even talked about fasting for our church. That's really amazing. It's just like what uh, was called for here in Joel chapter two, this idea of fasting for our church. Uh, Not everybody's down for fasting. I get that. In fact, a person showed up at our house with uh, two dozen chocolate covered Oreos and a Johnny's pizza and they're like, forget fasting, let's celebrate. We're like, heck yeah, let's go. (laughs) I don't know how the Lord is leading you to pray, but I wanna invite you to pray for our church. I have never been so desperate and so grateful for the prayers of his people. One more story. A person said, I am travailing in prayer for our church until Christ is formed in us. I am suffering with our church and I'm willing to suffer for our church till Christ is formed in us. We were driving home from a meeting the other day, and Christy and I were talking, and she said, "What have you been praying for? Like, what are you praying for?" And you've been praying for unity. You've been, what have you been praying? Wisdom, clarity. And I just said, "Man, I don't know. I've just been, I've just been crying out for more of God. I just haven't had anything specific. I just want more of Him. I just want God. I just want to know Christ." Paul writes these words in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I ache for our church to be unified And I pray so much for wisdom to know like how to lead and how to love, but if there's one prayer that I would invite you to pray for us, for you, it would be that you would know Christ because knowing Christ changes everything. Joel says uh, in chapter two, verse 25, I will repay you, he's speaking for God, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locust and the young locust, the other locust and the locust swarm. This is amazing. God is saying that He'll go back and make up for that in your life that sin has destroyed. Okay, I, 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 know, I know that we're not totally all into participation time around here, but is there anyone here that has been paid back for the years that the locusts have eaten? Anybody here in your, in your story? A couple of us? Yeah? Yeah. Man, if you know that story, there was a time maybe in your life where things were so shaky, where there was destruction or desolation and you didn't know what was going on. And eventually that time ended and God spoke in a way. It just started to bring back life to you and to your family. This is the promise of God. This is who he is. It doesn't always happen in our here and now. You might be waiting, you might be waiting, you might be waiting and you might not see anything and you might not feel anything and you might not experience anything. In fact, you might not experience anything until you get to heaven. But this is the character of our God. He says, I will repay you for that which sin has stolen. Now, let me just say, if, you're, if that's you, if you're in a place right now, if you're in a place of mourning or sadness or brokenness, I just wanna invite you, hold on, hold on. Hold on to Jesus, hold on to his truth, hold on to his love that will prevail in every story, your story and mine. Well, up until this point in the scripture, the poems have told this powerful story in which Joel leads Israel to see their sin and the disaster and judgment, and to remind them that because of God's mercy, there's there's hope. And Joel sees all of these past events and this disaster. And and then he sees this image of the future. These are some of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Joel sees what's, what's coming. This is verse 28 down through verse 32. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel references Jesus. He references the cross. He references that time where the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. It's what happens when Jesus is on the cross. And then he's, he's prophesying about what will happen after Jesus and what we know Uh, the fulfillment of this prophecy happens in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles and want to flip over, Acts chapter 2. Suddenly there's this rushing mighty wind that visits the Christians as they gather together in the courts, the temple courts, and tongues of fire land on all of the believers that are there, and they begin to speak in tongues. They begin to speak in languages that other people can understand. Uh, all these people that were gathered around, kind of a great multitude of people, actually, they're watching and they're hearing these Christians speak and praising God in various languages, and they're like, what is going on? People that came from all over the, all over the earth to celebrate, they're going, what is this? Who are these guys talking, these Galilean fishermen? Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter stands up, and he stands up with the eleven And he raises his voice and he addresses the crowd and he says, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then Peter reads or quotes Joel chapter two. Could you imagine the people standing there, those that would know scripture, they're like, I know this one. I know what he's talking about. He's talking about Joel chapter two. Joel sees hope for God's presence among his people now being expanded into a promise that one day God's spirit and his personal presence would not only fill the temple, but it would fill people. That's what's happening here at Pentecost. It was from God being for us to God being with us now it's the spirit dwelling in us I will pour out my spirit on all people and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved one last question for you guys is this still happening like is God's spirit still at work like is this stuff still happening or is just this for that day and you know we can kind of look at this story and go well that's cool is this stuff still happening Yes, yes, this stuff is still happening. It's happening now. It happened last week in Peru through our team. I believe it's gonna happen this week through our team that's headed to Guatemala. And it's happening in offices and in neighborhoods and on ball fields. It's happening now. I wanna tell you one quick story. It's happening in Cambodia. I got a note the other day from one of our global partners, Pastor Seahawk. Some of you guys know Pastor Seahawk. He's amazing. Uh, He's been here in our church before. I wanna show you a couple pictures and I wanna read you the email that he sent me that that described these pictures. These are some pictures of an event that Pastor Seahawk and his team um, did just a couple of days ago. Listen listen to his story. He says, and please allow me to let you, Pastor, that the people in this village there are 95% of the people have never heard about the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so thankful to God that we were able to do this special program and give the gifts to them and brought the gospel of salvation to the kids there, praising God that there were 124 kids who attended with our program. And it is good that the chief of the village came to join us too. And then he says this, there is a wonderful blessing after our kids, teachers taught them about salvation there were 97 kids raised their hand and prayed to receive Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior. God is at work. This is happening right now. It's happening, on all, it's happening in all places. It's happening with all people and it's happening here. God is at work and his spirit is moving and his love will prevail. Joel ends with this kind of picture or images of the land's restoration and he sees hope for the renewal of all creation. Uh, Chapter three kind of points back to the promises in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah. And that day of justice uh, will be followed by the restoration of the entire world. Um, This new Eden where God's presence in Jerusalem will flow out. Like a river and bring about cosmic renewal. This is Joel chapter 3, verse 18. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house, and water will, and will water the valley of the acacias. That's the promise that we hope for that one day, one day, one day, God will make all things new. And it's happening now. I want to just close with an invitation for us as a faith family to pray. After all that you've heard and all of you've experienced in your week and what we've sung about and what's been prayed over us. Just wanna invite you here in this moment to respond to the spirit as he leads. Uh, There's this little place of prayer up here. I just wanna remind you, a little altar that we've made here and it's available to you if you'd like to come and kneel in these next moments or if you wanna huddle up with some folks around you, wanna invite you to do that or pray with someone, wanna invite you to do that. But I wanna ask if, Before you ask God to do all these cool things in your life, um, in the life of our church, I want to ask if you would just kind of do what we've been doing around our house the last little while, and that is give God full access. Like in this moment right now, I want to encourage you to give God full access, mind, body, and soul. Before we take communion, before we sing, maybe even before you start asking God for the things that you want, that you would come before him, maybe kneel at the altar of your heart and that you would give him full access. Maybe this is the way to do it. The psalmist says this, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Could we do that? Could we just pause and just be still? And could we just say, okay, Lord, I'm here. Search me. I want you to know my heart. Test me. I want you to know what makes me anxious. And see if there's anything in me that's not okay. Meet me there. Love me here and lead me in the way of everlasting. So let's just take, let's just take a couple minutes and let's just be still and respond to the spirit as he leads us. Let's pray together.